This is episode 88 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Lavender, How to Grow It and Use It for Food, Medicine, and More, Secrecy in Prepping, Part 2, Underground, and because today is Wednesday, we have an interview with Leanne Edmondson from Homestead Dreamer. Hey, I'm Todd Spolvita, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, before I get into uh, the article, uh, just looking at um, the weather here in the Houston area, I, I don't know, my weather bug app was going off uh, more and more today, and it looks like the tropical... Uh, storm watch that we had for Cindy turned into a tropical storm warning so it looks like it's uh it's going to be coming and it's headed a little bit more west is from you know I checked the uh um our local news and and uh, they had a video out there it looks like it's gone a little bit further west than what they've thought so it's kind of coming in between Galveston and Louisiana Texas state line um there's thinking that we're going to get around 8 to 12 inches uh, of, uh, of water. The, the thing, the concerning thing is that the, the storms is moving really slow. And so when that's happening, you always have the, uh, the potential for a lot of rain. And so uh, I put that up on the Facebook group, uh, Living a More Self-Reliant Life. And so, you know, there's some people that are going to be impacted by it. Renee, uh, over on, in the group said, you know, she lives in Louisiana, so she's going to be going, uh, or she's going to be, uh, you know, in, in the midst of that. She said, I think they're projecting 12 inches for them. <clears throat> One of the things that she said, you know, she's like, hey, I'm prepped. I don't even have to go to the store. I don't have to worry about it. I stopped off at the store today on the way home from work just because I needed some groceries for, or to be able to make my lunches, uh, you know, for work. And uh, I, I did go buy the water and uh, it was already wiped out. And so it, that has, that's the first to go. Now, there was nothing else. Nothing else looked like it was being wiped out at all. Uh, but the water was completely gone. They had one pallet. Uh, one, of the, one of the stalkers was bringing out one pallet. And uh, he saw me coming. And so, you know, he just uh, kind of smiled. And, and I took what I needed. And, and uh, he went ahead and started loading it back up again. But, I mean, th- that quickly, that's how quick it can go. So as, uh, as the news goes out, I guess that is going to be going a little bit further west. So it's, we're going to get a little bit more, especially out in our area. Uh, in the northwest side of Houston, we got hit probably a little bit over a year ago. We got, had a really bad flood and um, went into a lot of our schools. It uh, A lot of uh, the area got flooded. You might have seen some things on uh, on Facebook about that. So a lot of people are still, that's still fresh on everybody's mind. Uh, we were just talking about that recently that it was, uh, or it, at the school district, that it, it was uh, just, you know, about a year ago. So it's been a little bit over a year. And so we had a lot of damage to our schools. So that's kind of fresh on everybody's mind. And uh, just, but, you know, we're going to take it as it is. It's good to be prepped and not have to worry about any of those other kinds of things and, and just be ready for it when it comes uh, you know, be on the lookout. So I think it's like late Wednesday night, early Thursday morning. That's supposed to be uh, making landfall, or at least we're supposed to start getting the uh, the effects of that. But there's still there's a lot more people on on the Gulf Coast that are going to be hit, uh, you know, a lot more severe because of that. So, and I know there's all kinds of other things that are happening out there. You know, um, people are affected, and uh, that's why we prep, man. We prep so that we don't have to. Um, you know, feel the effects of, of that uh, and, and have those issues. Hey, talking about um, apps and, and um, you know, getting warnings and alerts and different things like that. Um, one of the, um, you know, recently there's been a couple of articles about uh, uh, Yosemite and, and, you know, super volcanoes and stuff like that because there's been a, a big uptick in uh, earthquakes over there. Well, one of the guys that I really, uh, I really look to, you know, there, there's people out there that will hype all that up. 
but one of the the actually the YouTube channels that I go to is Suspicious Observer. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and link to them. Uh, but I went ahead and, and went over there. I'm like, okay, so what is he saying? Because he's always talking about earthquakes and solar weather and all those kinds of things. Um, what I thought was funny is uh, you might have seen the article that a lot of the cell phone uh, people were having issues, um, or a lot of the cell phone carriers were having issues, and people were reporting that they didn't have service. Well, I mean, there was some uh, a lot of solar activity uh, that was interfering with uh, satellites and different things like that. So that probably was it. But in listening to one of his updates, he talked about uh, the, an app that they had, and so I went, um, and he he does a real good job of linking to all these different. Uh, all the different links that he talks about. So I went over to the to the Google App Store and it's there. It's like two dollars and ninety nine cents, and uh, they do provide uh, they do provide alerts. So and they're push notifications. So uh, and you can set it as sensitive as you want. Uh, but if there is going to be like a, a CME or if there is going to be some serious solar weather, I mean, you would get an alert on your phone. Um, you know, if there is going to be an uptick in earthquakes, you can go to it and, and kind of just check it out. So like this morning I was checking it out and, and uh, you know, there's an update on the app. But again, you know, you have those alerts as well. So those are those are pretty awesome. Uh, like I said, I've been uh, I have a couple of weather apps on so weatherbug kept keeps every time they they change an alert for this tropical storm i always get a little update and so that's how i knew that it was it was already going into a uh to a watch and not just a warning i'm sorry uh going into a warning and not not just a watch so anyway all right talking long about that um but we'll keep all the people on the gulf coast in our prayers uh moving forward our first article comes to us from common sense homesteading and uh, the article is called Lavender, How to Grow It and Use It for Food, Medicine, and More. And I really appreciate these kind of, uh, this kind of article because it goes into a lot of information. Hey, just, uh, well, now that I'm thinking about it, we had uh, Greg Carter not too long ago on with, a, with an interview, and he did his Kickstarter. I think I've talked about it once. I'm going to go ahead and link to it again. But since I'm talking about herbs, he talked about doing his... Um, his little Kickstarter to uh, create these PDFs that would have you know herbs and, and wild edibles on there and different ways uh, of you know good pictures so that you can identify them and recipes and all those kinds of things. Uh, last time I checked, he was pretty close to making it. He wasn't asking for a lot. He wasn't asking for like thousands and thousands of dollars. I think he was, he only wanted like 350. So that would get him to the point where he would be able to do this project and, and finish it up. And so uh, I'm going to link to that one again in the show notes. And so you can go check that out uh, if you're interested in being a part of that. But, uh, you know, once he, I think it's 25 bucks, and then you'll get everything that he's, that he's creating. You'll get it. You'll be able to download it. And uh, I think that that's very valuable. So when you see something like, uh, you see an article like this, like Lavender, and uh, all the different uses for it. I think it's important because I, I think that this is going to be one of the things that we're going to be moving more and more to uh, using essential oils, us using uh, natural herbs in, in ways because healthcare is getting crazy. Just in, I mean, a lot of you know that I'm an educator and TRS, uh, Teacher Retirement System, has um, increased the insurance rates uh, pretty high in, in uh uh, again, and so a lot, I know a lot of teachers. I mean, I'm grateful that I have insurance. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't have insurance, but I know a lot of people that are retired. A lot of the teachers that are retired. I was reading an article, and they're like, I mean, all my retirement is kind of going towards that because it's so it's so uh, expensive right now. And so I think that as that continues to happen, people are going to be looking for things like this, natural ways of doing things, and herbs, and and how to heal. And, um, you know, using it in, in just, you know, all these different ways. And the cool thing is that it's so easy to grow outside. It's so easy to, you know, to have a, a patch where you can have a lot of different herbs and then, you know, cut them off as they, as they mature and then dry them and have them ready to go. So we're going to go ahead and get into lavender. I know, I mean, I'm talking a lot. Apologize for that. So let me go ahead and jump in. I tried to grow lavender as one of the first herbs I planted in my garden and promptly killed it. 
<laughs> Since then, I learned to pay attention to what the plants need instead of where they look nice in the yard. In this post, I'll share easy tips for helping your lavender plants to thrive and some of my favorite lavender uses. It's a great garden plant for bees and has a rich history of use as food and medicine. So it's kind of snickering there. Uh, I follow Lori on Facebook and uh, just kind of knowing her uh, her humor a little bit. I was just kind of picturing her uh, say that. Anyway, moving on. A little lavender history. Lavender is a genus of 47 known species. The five main types of lavender are English lavender, Portuguese lavender, French lavender, Spanish lavender, and lav- lavender. The flowers range in colors from white pink to a dark purple. Lavender is part of the mint family and is one of the most used and cultivated herbs worldwide. One of the earliest recorded uses of lavender that I could find is from Discordids in 60 AD. Discordids wrote about lavender in De Materia Medicia. The Materia Medicia is a premier historical source of information about the medicines used by the Greeks, Romans, and other cultures. I found lavender use associated with King Tut's tomb, Cleopatra, Queen Elizabeth I. The article Lavender Use and Lord notes, Lavender is referenced throughout the Bible by the name Spikenard, which was the Greek name for lavender. For example, John 12, 1, 10 reads, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Spikenard was used as one of the eleven herbs for the incense in the holy temple in Jerusalem. A cross fashioned out of lavender was often hung over Christian households' doors for protection in biblical times. How to Grow Lavender Lavender is a perennial with a typical lifespan of 10 years, although some plants have been known to live up to 20 years. True lavender is native to the mountains of the Mediterranean region. The ideal environment for lavender is one which mimics the Mediterranean, where winters are cool and moist and the summers are hot and dry. Lavender grows in zones 5 to 9 and sometimes up to zone 11. With care, lavender can be grown as far north as zone 3, as demonstrated by my friend Chris from Joy Billy Farm. We live in zone 8 on the east coast and our lavender does really well as long as I remember to prune it for airflow. Our lavender is almost four feet tall and just as wide, which is average for a lavender plant. It's a pretty big plant. It gets pretty big. Lavender growing tips. Lavender needs six plus hours of sun per day. Growing in well-drained area. If you have clay or hard soil, grow lavender in raised beds or pots. For sandy soil, mix with rocks or shells for drainage. Do not overwater. Let dry between waterings. Plant with other drought-tolerant plants. Water from the bottom, not overhead. Allow for ample air circulation, avoiding planting next to a wind block such as buildings. No need to mulch. You don't want to trap moisture. Prune your plants back in the fall. How to cook with lavender. Most varieties of lavender can be used in cooking, but flavor will vary. Grow your own or buy organic lavender or lavender solid specifically I'm sorry, lavender sold specifically for culinary applications to avoid pesticides or other contaminants. What is the difference between lavender and culinary lavender? Plants or dried herbs sold as culinary lavender are generally harvested from the Lavandula angustifolia species. Lavandula angustifolia species possess a sweeter fragrance and spice. The flavor is floral with lemon and citrus notes. Click here to pull purchase culinary lavender. The leaves, flowers, and stems of lavender are all used for cooking. Sturdy dried stems make handy skewers for kebabs. Just soak the stems for about an hour before loading them up and use them on the grill. Finally, chop the leaves and sprinkle them on savory foods for a unique flavor twist. Cooking ideas. Desserts, jams, cocktails such as the Lavender Field Forever recipe, Breads, meat dishes, vinegar, see how to infuse herbs in oil, water, vinegar, alcohol, or honey. Garnish, I like to dip my lemons in lavender and place by water or tea for my guests. Cheeses, I place goat or other soft cheeses on a nice dish, sprinkle lavender flowers, then drizzle with honey. Lavender infused sugar, wonderful for dipping the rim of your drink or sprinkling on scones. 
Okay, so uh, I do want to point out, uh, just in case I forget, there are a ton of, of links here. So when she's talking about like uh, the cocktail recipe or uh, you know all these other other things, there's a, there's a lot of links here you want to go check out. How to make lavender infused sugar? You will need a small glass jar with a lid, sugar, and lavender blossoms. Place a, lav a layer of sugar in the bottom of the jar and top with a layer of flowers. Use roughly four times as much sugar as flowers. For instance, about one cup of sugar and one quarter cup of blossoms. Repeat layers until just jar is filled. Place jar in cupboard of pantry for four to six weeks, shaking occasionally to distribute the lavender flavor. Use as you would regular sugar. Leave flowers in or sift out your choice. The sugar dries and preserves them. If you don't have your own fresh lavender, you can buy lavender sugar ready-made. Medicinal lavender uses. Lavender is my go-to for many of our medicinal issues. I use it for everything from migraines to burns. Some of the properties for lavender include anti-inflammatory, antifungal, antidepressant, antiseptic, antibacterial, antimicrobial, antispasmodic, analgesic. Medicinal uses for lavender. Lavender is used medicinally for anxiety, depression, sleep disorders, stress, muscle pain, heal, heals, burn, heal, heals burns and wounds, improves eczema and psoriasis, heals burns and wounds, well, that's twice in there, antibacterial, anesthetic, sedative, headaches, digestive issues, and aromatherapy. So there are a lot of links here. Uh, it looks like she's linking off her website, so it'll go to other websites, but uh, a lot of links, I mean, every single one of those is a link. Lavender oil or herb. Many people will ask me which is better, oil or herb. I discuss this subject in detail in this article, Herbs or Essential Oils, Which is Better. Always dilute lavender essential oil with a carrier oil. Never use essential oil on cats, small children, or pregnant nursing moms. Always ask your doctor or other medical professionals when taking herbs or essential oils for health. The post is for general information only. Other lavender uses. For cosmetics to tease, lavender has a hundreds, hundred of hundreds of applications. I use it in many natural pest control recipes as well as craft projects. Perfume. Make your own perfume with essential oils by Common Sense Homesteading. So the, all, these are all article links. Uh, cold and flu. Knock out cold and flu germs by Common Sense Homesteading. Play-Doh. Easy homemade herbal Play-Doh by My Homestead Life. Natural Pest Control, Natural Spider Repellents, 8 Ways to Get Rid of Spiders by Common Sense Homesteading. Mosquito Repellent, How to Make a Mosquito Repellent Necklace by My Homestead Life. And Gifts, 10 Easy Herbal Gifts to Enjoy Now, plus one gift that lasts all year long by Common Sense Homesteading. How do you use lavender? Did I miss something you'd like to know? Share your questions and comments below. Alright, so... This is a recent article. There's only one comment in there, but a lot of links and a lot of things that you can do here. Um, I do recommend, I have tried growing lavender um, in the past from seed and was not very successful, but I didn't, I, I just put it down in the ground and kind of went from there. Uh, so I didn't really, uh, I was just kind of just, hey, let's see what happens. Uh, but I have purchased uh, a lavender plant this last year and it's doing really really well so um, you know that's good to, good to know there um, and it is getting a lot of sun and I do have it to where it's not you know it's not getting drenched all the time uh, it's not uh, it, it can definitely drain so go check out that article over at common sense homesteading um, lavender how to grow it and use it for food medicine and more all right, hey, because today is Wednesday, we try to do, we don't always have one, but we try to do an interview. And because this is like a pure audible, um, try to keep it at least audible um, podcast, you notice that I don't have any bumper music at the beginning or the end. I'm just trying to stay true to the, the audible format. Um, so what we do is if uh, someone has the ability to record their answers, they, they will send them in to me, but if not, I send them some questions and they type out their answers and I read them. And so today's uh, interview comes, it's Leanne Edmondson from Homestead Dreamer, and uh, she's given us uh, you know a, a great interview here. I'm looking forward to, uh, to read this. So let's go ahead and start this one. 
tell us a little bit about yourself and your preparedness. Please include why you started prepping. I live in rural Alaska on an island. It is a wonderful and resource-rich area, but it rains more than Seattle. Being on an island, all of the supplies are shipped up via barge from Seattle or airplane. This includes medicine, food, cleaning supplies, you name it. My preparedness journey began when I went to Walmart. We only have one and it is tiny compared to most. And saw that the toilet paper aisle was empty. I don't mean pockets of empty shelving. I mean it was completely wiped, no pun intended. From the cheapest brand to the most expensive luxury toilet paper you can buy. The baby wipes were also all gone. I asked a friend who worked there what happened and she said that the container with the stock of toilet paper missed the barge and would be up the next week. She said people freaked out and bought all they could. It was a real eye-opener. This was only toilet paper. What if it had been food, medicine, or something else? It occurred to me that there didn't need to be a disaster here to affect us. The supply chain just needed to be broken and we would be in trouble. From there, I began learning all I could about being prepared and started working on getting my supplies built up. Eventually, though, I went down the homesteading path that serves both self-reliance and preparedness. What are your main preparedness concerns? What are you prepping for? My main concern is a break in the supply chain. Though it's a broad category, it applies to just about everything. A local disaster in the lower 48 could disrupt our supply chain. Any, anything from something small to, heaven forbid, a huge disaster event can make it so there won't be supplies coming in. Whether short or long term, it's a big deal when you live on an island. Has your preparedness changed over the years and why? My preparedness has changed greatly over the years. I am in, into year five of prepping. In that time, I went from being a gadget junkie and hoarder of food to a more relaxed and manageable system. It's also a, a lot more logical. You can't hoard enough food to last forever, nor can you expect the government will reliably feed you in a crisis. To me, homesteading and preparedness tend to lead to each other. For example, when it occurred to me that I would never be able to store enough, I knew I needed to learn to grow my own food, harvest my own crops, and go hunting. Prepping led to homesteading. On the other side of things, homesteaders quickly learned that pre-planning and always looking ahead to the next season is a must if you want to succeed. Hence, homesteading leads to preparedness. The, they truly are one and the same it, if executed in different ways. Tell us about your book. What is it about and why did you decide to write it? Aftermath, the Jimmy Walker story, is about a virus that takes out the world's internet. The cascading effects send Jimmy Walker, average Joe, to his bug out location in Michigan, where most, where most dystopian, dystopian novels tell the story of all the events that lead up to the big disaster. This one starts with the big disaster on page two and talks about the aftermath of the survivors. The way the first book in the trilogy was written is unique. It started out as a weekly serial where reads, readers could vote on what the character does next or make a decision that deals with moral or ethical choices. It became very popular and ended up going for 30 weeks total. It was the encouragement of the readers that prompted me to edit it into a book. Books 2 and 3 were done the same. Though book 3 is on hold for now, it should be out fall of 2017. What feedback have you received from your book that is the most surprising to you? There were several reactions and feedback that surprised me. The one that got me the most was people who said that after reading book one, they found themselves thinking about the characters and storyline long after. There were many who commented on how it made them look at their own situation and preparedness levels. I've gotten emails from people thanking me for writing the story because it helped them see areas where they were lacking in their own plans. I find it all very rewarding and a bit humbling. It's cool to me knowing that my story has impacted people and prompted them to improve their situations. What part of your book would you like to make sure that readers pay careful attention to? Hope. In a word, it would be hope for survival. A cool head and the right people can move mountains. More so than that, no person is an island and no one can do it all alone. Those who believe that being alone 20 miles away from the co closest house is the safest option will find that they were very wrong when people from the said city come up, posse style, and simply overrun them in their remote retreat. 
Even the pioneers and settlers had to go to the trading posts to get supplies. No one can do it all alone. Could you paste in a paragraph from your book that gives a good feel for what readers will experience? Jimmy considered his options. Taking one disaster event at a time, the virus that shut down electronics followed by a nuclear bomb being detonated in the air over Chicago would send people into a state of panic chaos. The interstate might be faster since he had a jump on most people's ability to react. He understood what was going on better than most and knew the time was counting down when the fallout would reach him. He took a deep breath. The back roads would make the trip take longer, but would have less of a chance of being clogged with panicked people. Well, Jimmy thought to himself, either way I go, it will be dark by the time I make it. That decided, he turned east and hit the gas. Here and there, cars were stopped in the middle of the road or had been pushed off to the side. He felt a little uncomfortable resorting to his backup route from the start. After making 40 or so miles with little issue, he felt he had made the right choice. He was on a particularly long straight stretch with no other cars on the road. Jimmy punched it and drove in the middle without thinking, his training taking over. As he made his way, he wondered if Eugene had woken up yet and then remembered the emergency radio station. Scanning the area again for any threats, he flipped the switch on. Has declared a state of emergency. Martial law is now in effect nationwide. You are ordered to immediately return to your homes and comply with authorities. National Guard will be enforcing a 6 p.m. curfew. You may, you may be detained for non... He turned the station off, the sense of urgency increasing. With the Guard being deployed and martial law in effect, he wondered if there would be problems crossing state lines. He hoped he was far enough ahead of the waves of people to make it across. Slowing down to make the turn north, Jimmy glanced at his watch. Just less than two hours had gone by since it happened. He knew he would be out after the curfew and in the dark, which would make him easily spotted. Deal with one thing at a time, he muttered. So, uh, just my comments. Don't you think just kind of reading that makes you kind of want to find out what happens to Jimmy? So, uh, it sounds pretty good there. What else, um, what else would you want preppers to know about your books? Again, book two is already out and book three is coming. These are self-edited and self-published. Tell us about your website. What is your main focus? My website is www.homesteaddreamer.com. Focuses on homesteading wherever you are. You don't need five acres, chickens, and a garden to be a homesteader. Being more self-reliant is the goal and the way to achieve it is to do the best with what you have. Instead of wishing your grass was as green as your neighbor's, stop paying attention and focus on your own grass. Improve your own patch and then help others improve theirs. Will you give us two or three examples of your work that you like to share with our listeners? There are, these are my top three articles that have received great feedback and the readers found the most valuable to their own journeys. The five stages new preppers go through. Ten things I stopped buying at the store. And when did independence become illegal? Again, I will link to all of these. Uh, I will link to her books and also to all of these uh, as well in the show notes of episode 88. What would you like to say to the Prepper Website Podcast listeners? Skills are more important than stuff is. Stop comparing what you are doing to what others have done. There is no one right plan for everyone. There is only the right plan for you and your family. Where can people find you? Links, social media. So I will link to her main website. She has a Facebook, a Pinterest, and also uh, she's on Twitter at Homestead Dreamer with, um, without the E at the end. So Dreamer is just uh, dream and then the, the letter R. So I will link to all of those on episode 88. So thanks, Leanne, so much for doing this interview and uh, giving us a little bit more insight into why you prep and, you know, everyone comes to preparedness with different things, you know, from different points of view. And being on an island and just kind of having your eyes uh, open to how easily, you know, something like this could, uh, you know, you could go without uh, was a real eye-opening for, for her. And so, uh, you know, there's um, there it is right there. A lot of good stuff and uh, a lot of good articles there to go check out and also her book. So, again, thanks, Leanne. Um, our next article comes to us from survivalsullivan.com. It's a little bit longer article. Um, th there's a lot of videos in here uh, that you'll want to check out, good videos. 
And this is an interesting one. I, you know, I'm, at least I think you'll find it. In, hopefully, you find it interesting. I find it interesting uh, because something that you know I have considered myself. And so, if you are, uh, you know, in the middle maybe of a prepping project, building some kind of retreat, maybe you're building a home, or maybe you're making some renovations, or you plan to do that in the future. So this might be uh, an article that you might want to pay attention to and kind of. Uh, you know, get some ideas of what what uh, you know what you can do. So again, uh, secrecy and prepping part two, and this one is specific to underground. Not too long ago, I wrote an article called "Secrecy and Prepping" that focused on the realities of stockpiling goods. The article discussed how that if other people knew that you were stockpiling supplies like food, water, medicine, weapons, and ammunition, that this could cause you to become a target for those who did not have the foresight to be so prepared in the event of an emergency. I am not only talking about the average citizen, but our own government could target you simply for the goods you have stored. Beyond keeping the motto to heart that loose lips sink ships, another good adage to live by is out of sight, out of mind. What I mean by this is that if you are stockpiling goods, where are you storing them? Do you just have shelving in the basement covered with canned goods? Are are your firearms and ammunition merely under the bed, in the closet, or at best, in a gun safe? Well, there are better things that you can do with these items to keep them safe, especially if you are handy with a saw and hammer. Also, if you own land that you live on, or even if you own land that you don't live on, there are better ways to store your emergency supplies. What I am talking about here are burial vaults, secret rooms, and hidden doorways. An example of some foodstuffs in a burial cache. So there is a video for that. Some might think these kinds of tactics would be extreme measures. I mean, come on, it's just some canned goods and a few guns, right? Wrong. These goods are your lifeline in an emergency, especially one as serious as SHTF or Tiatwaki. So you have to ask yourself this question, to what extreme are you willing to go to protect your loved ones and or yourself? Some people have the state of mind that they would help others help out their fellow fellow man or human. That's all well and good, and it's heartwarming that people care enough about their fellow human to be so concerned. But the reality of it is... In these types of situations, you just can't do it. You will have to ignore those less fortunate and less prepared and leave them to their means. In doing this, you are protecting you and yours, but you may have to take even more harsh measures against your fellow human being. You might have to shoot them, kill them, to protect yourself and your family. If you don't think you would have the heart or stomach to kill someone, then think about that while you think about your stockpile of goods. Who knows Who knows it is there? What have who have you told? Who knows who knows what you have and who have they told? Then you have to consider who have they told. Information spreads by word of mouth, often in casual conversation. Joe and Jim are playing golf, and Jim mentions to Joe that Tom is a prepper and has a whole basement full of food and water. Tom must be crazy, huh, Joe? So then at lunch the next day, Joe tells Fred that yesterday on the golf course, Jim told him that Tom thinks the world is going to end, and so he has a whole bunch of food and supplies in his basement. So after work the day that day, Fred goes home and tells his wife that Joe told him that Jim told Joe when they were playing golf that Tom is one of those crazy prepper guys and has a whole warehouse full of food and water and all kinds of medicine because he is afraid the world is going to end. So the next day, Fred's wife is at the beauty salon and tells the girls what her husband told her. They all go home and tell their husbands and so on. That's just two days worth of casual conversation and already over a dozen people know that Tom has a stockpile of supplies for an emergency. What do you think those people are going to do if something happens that suddenly thrusts them into a situation where food and water is now more valuable than gold? They are all going to Tom's house. That's what is going to happen. The moral of this story is that if you don't want to kill people to protect your family, then you should minimize the risk of that happening by keeping your mouth shut and don't tell anyone what you do. It's none of their business anyway, right? All right, so let me just stop really quick uh, right there. I know a lot of you know that I am uh, I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. For the longest time, I had such a hard time reading articles like this uh, um, you know, for prepper website and putting them up there, uh, because this here's the thing: uh, being a Christian 
doesn't stop when the poop hits the fan, right? Uh, being being a Christian does not end when uh, you know it's the end of the world as we know it. And so I, sometimes I, I think that there's a lot of Christians out there who are preppers who in their minds, you know, for whatever reason, the poop hits the fan and, you know, they put on their camo, uh, they become, you know, Christian Rambos or whatever. And, uh, you know, they break, they break out the ARs and they're ready to shoot anyone who gets, you know, steps on their lawn. And uh, for me, for being a Christian, that that's just not the way it, it's, it goes. Now, there's some wisdom that's involved there. There's some discernment that's involved. Do I have a problem defending myself and defending my family? No, not at all. But uh, again, Christian charity, uh, looking out for other people, for me, that doesn't stop. Um, or at least that, you know, that that just doesn't go away. Uh, I'm a Christian to the day I die, to my last breath, to my heart, last heartbeat, uh, or to the second coming, you know, whatever happens there. So, uh, you know, I always take that into account. So when I hear something like this, I, I know where people are coming from. I completely know where people are coming from. Uh, but I, I know that I would view it in a whole different, different way. Um, Again, discernment and wisdom, and you know, it just you know that plays into it. Um, you know, one of the things that I, that I did want to say about this is that uh, when people when people have this, they talk about you know people are coming over to your house. I don't I don't know if that's would be something that would be happening right away. I mean, you think about how um, how things happen. Um, a lot of the times people, you know, just hunker down and they're looking for communication. They're looking for answers. They're trying to figure out, you know, what would happen. Uh, and then they, uh, you know, hopefully they're like the government's going to come. FEMA's going to come, you know, you know, because they look at all the other times in the past, even here in Houston, when we had, um, I guess that was Hurricane Ike that came through. You know, they were giving out, uh, you know, MREs and different things like that. So you could go to central locations and pick those up. And, and I know people who did that, you know. Uh, and so people have that in the back of their minds that that's something that, like that would happen. So going back to like Leanne's, uh, you know, in her interview in that in that little paragraph that she gave us about her character, he knew what was going on and he moved very, very quickly. So prepper, I mean, that's one, one reason why I always advocate being aware, staying aware, being up to date. You know, again, one of the, you know, I have apps on my phone that let me know what the weather is doing, you know, what solar weather is doing. I've already talked about that. Um, I talk about using Twitter. Twitter is a very quick way to get information because things go on there quickly. And that's one reason I know people get mad because I don't follow them. I don't follow back, but I only follow news, you know, news organizations and, you know, people that are putting that kind of information out there because I want to be able to go. I don't want my timeline filled with a whole bunch of pictures of cats and stuff like that. I want to be able to get, you know, information very, very quickly. And so that's why I use that, uh, use that that way. And again, there is, there's other, other things that you can do, uh, to get information, you know, in your local area. If there, if you're on Facebook and there is, uh, there maybe there's a crime watch. I know for my area, uh, of town, there is a crime watch and, uh, you know, that is pretty active. People are always posting on their things that are happening. So you want to be aware. Um, that's going to help a lot of preppers, I think, because you're going to be aware. You're going to be able to move. You're going to be able to make decisions quickly as opposed to everybody else is going to be kind of shocked. They're going to be looking at their phones. They're going to be looking at, uh, you know, uh, trying to get information from radios and different things like that. All right. So uh, let's go ahead and keep moving. So just what exactly should you do with your stockpile of goods to keep them and everyone involved or not involved safe? Well, there are a few things that I have in mind. Uh, there is a video here, Digging an Underground Prepper Cache. Burial Vaults. The first thing to consider for stashing away your dry goods and weapons is to hide them in burial vaults. Another old saying comes to mind here, don't keep all your eggs in one basket. Wise advice, it means in the case to spread things around. A handy way to make a burial vault is with PVC pipe. You can use a length of pipe with a cap glued on one end and a screw on cap on the other end. Be sure to use thread tape on them and then these are very watertight. You can bury them on their side and it doesn't 
take much to dig in a little trench to lay them in. Then all you have to do is just cover them with dirt and leaves and there you go. You have a little watertight cache of supplies. Also, since these are so inexpensive, you can plant these all over the place. I strongly suggest that you have several and keep similar items in each one. If you're on a tight budget, you can just stash a little $100 pistol like a 22, or get a high point if you want a larger caliber. A high point is cheap, but they work, and for a 9mm or a 45 for around $150, you can bury one of those and a few hundred rounds of ammunition a few times and it won't break the bank. So if you do that, you definitely want to make sure that you um, you you do figure out a way to uh, to take take care of moisture. I know uh, in the Mark Goodwin books, he always talks about a sock with rice in it, uh, you know, and putting that in there so the the rice would absorb um, the uh, the moisture. And you can also, I mean, there's other products that you can buy and, and different things like that. Um, you, can, you can always vacuum seal them, blah, blah, blah. You want to lube them up really well, all that kind of stuff. You know, recently we did have another, uh, I remember reading an article where they talked about doing cash, uh, caches in. Um, they talked about like if people came to search your house, you would want to dig the cache down deep, put the cache down, cover it up with dirt, and then have a layer of nails or some kind of uh, some kind of metal so that they could go ahead and if they searched it with a metal detector, they would find that and give up continuing to look. All right, so let's go ahead and keep going. Hidden room. You can make a hidden room in your house. Having been in the construction industry for over 20 years, I have seen many homes with panic rooms. Some of these rooms were small, maybe 10 by 10. Others were bigger than my house that I lived in, and they were all hidden away behind secret doors. My favorite one was in a very large home that belonged to a very wealthy couple, and due to non-disclosure agreements, I am not even allowed to say that he was a leather importer. Oops. But there was a secret door hidden in the back of the master bedroom ladies' dressing room closet. This door went down a narrow staircase into the room. The other entrance was in the basement itself, a mere 20 feet from a walkout basement door that seemed terribly out of place to me in its location to pretty much nowhere outside but the side yard. There was a magnificent bookcase in the basement and one of the sections was on a magnetic lock that had a secret latch hidden away that only I, the other carpenter that built it, and the homeowner knew where it was and how to unlock it. Inside this entrance was a two-bedroom apartment within the home, similar to the picture below, but much more elaborate. It was about 800 to 1,000 square feet, had a full kitchen, a full bath, was fully furnished very nicely, and had a huge four-ton safe right smack in the middle of the kitchen with cabinets built around it to hide it. The safe was actually lowered into the basement by crane at the beginning of construction and then had a protective wooden crate built around it. This room had a separate utility from the main house that could not be cut off from the outside. The utility service was all buried and the apartment panic room had a service panel inside it. It had a separate water supply from the main house and had the meter hidden from the main house water meter. The alarm system for the entire house was based in this panic room as well. It had an air filter and a fully stocked pantry and its own HVAC system. They said it was set up for the two of them to stay in for a month if need be, but mostly it was to escape to in case of a home invasion to await the, the police. This was the most elaborate safe room I had ever seen, but I saw others as well. Most were just basic storage rooms, but some were very nice. Here is a secret room behind a bookcase, but this is under a staircase and so it's pretty obvious that there is dead space there perfect for a hidden room. So you should be more creative when you make your hidden room. Another one I liked was also in a pretty big house. It had a large front porch that was about 8 feet wide and 25 feet long. When the basement walls were poured, the porch hole was poured separate. I thought it strange to have a porch hole poured like that because it didn't need to have a hole there for a porch. Then when I had a private meeting with the builder and homeowner and they explained what was going on, I had to build a support system in the, in the hole and put corrugated sheet metal over the hole. Then I built a corrugated form. I built a con sorry. Then I built a concrete form six inches thick, thick for a porch, and placed heavy wire mesh in it. Also unusual for a porch. 
Then I had a concrete crew come in and pour the porch and do an aggregate finish on it. A very nice looking porch. The real fun came when the house was, fit, was finished and all the crews were gone. I went into the basement and cut a doorway through the concrete basement wall into the porch hole. Then I removed all the wooden bracing that held up the corrugated metal and several tons of concrete that capped it. This created, 200 square f this created a 200 square foot room with 10 foot ceilings underground with thick concrete walls. I turned it into a modest safe room, not fancy like the other one. It was addressed as a storm shelter in the plans, but no one knew about it but me, the builder, and the homeowners. It was stocked with food, water, a filtered ventilation system, a chemical toilet, a sofa, and some cots for sleeping. It covered just the basics, but was a very secure shelter. The ventilation system was one of those NBC filter systems, and the inlet was routed several yards away and hidden in some shrubbery out of sight. If you didn't know it was there, you would never find it. They didn't have running water in there, but they had a giant water tank. I'd say it was 200 to 300 gallons. They had it filled up with just tap water, I guess. It's not like it's going to go bad sealed up in a big plastic water tank in a basement. The entrance was in the basement. It was a steel door mounted in a steel frame that I bolted into the concrete wall with 8 inches long bolts. It had a couple of deadbolt locks on it and then the door was hidden behind a bookcase that I was rather proud of the way I made it open and close. It had no lock on the bookcase, but if you didn't know it was there, you would never know to try to open it. The one thing these two rooms had in common, and there were several more than I, that I did, is that they were secret. Sure, I told a few people about making a cool secret room, but they had no idea where they are located. I can say they are in Kentucky, most in the Louisville area, and that narrows it down to about a million homes, so good luck finding them. I always thought it was a good idea to have a double basement, and yes, there was a house I built with one, one of those, and it was huge, but most of it wasn't a secret room, only a portion of it. But I always thought that would be a good idea. If you were building a new house, you could dig the basement hole deeper, or even just a half basement on the second level. Then you could either put a wooden floor between the basement levels, or you could put a concrete cap on the lower level, which would be the f floor of the first basement level, thereby not raising any eyebrows. A wooden floor is a basement. A wooden floor in a basement would make someone wonder why and what was under it. You could also put a wooden floor and then use thin set concrete over the wooden floor to make it seem like a regular concrete basement floor, and that would also help to soundproof the lower basement room. Any method like this would work, but to have a double basement would be a great secret room. I would make the addition of having an escape tunnel that goes out away from the house and had a manhole cover type thing, but one that is watertight and locked for just in case you needed to get out secret like. But whatever you choose to do, do it secretly. There are companies that build underground bunkers and they will keep it secret. But the fact remains that they will have records for their businesses practice or business practices for tax purposes. The fact is that within those records, someone could find out that you have a bunker. So doing it yourself is the best way. If you live out in the country, then do it. If you need the hole dug, then just rent a back hole and dig it yourself. It isn't hard to do. Worst case scenario, if you are digging and someone gets nosy, you can either tell them you're digging in a pond, digging a pond or lake, or you can toss them in the hole under the bunker. <laughs> All right, so uh, don't toss someone in a hole of the bunker. Don't want to do that. Um, so interesting article. Again, you know, if you are getting something together, if you or you're in the future, you are building something. You can, you know, you can uh, easily. Uh, you know, put something in. Not not easily. I don't want to say easily, but you, know, you could put something in there. Um, I remember, <laughs> this is funny, uh, in fifth grade, my teacher read us all the Little House on the Prairie books. And in one of those, um, I, I can't remember, uh, sort of the Laura Ingalls, uh, her uh, future husband, I guess, uh, her his he and his brother, uh, you know, lived in town or whatever, and uh, Paul Ingalls needed, uh, or you know, they needed some some uh, some. I don't, I can't remember whatever it was, uh, grain, whatever it was, wheat or flour or whatever. And so he's talking to one of them, and he realizes that um, 
the room that they're in seems a little bit smaller than what it looks like from the outside. And so as he's talking to him, he's looking around, he's very curious, and he starts knocking on the walls, and he, and he realizes that one of the walls is, is, uh, is hollow. It's a fake wall, and they, they're hidden, they have stuff hidden back there behind the wall. And so I always thought that would be, you know, an easy thing to do. Like in a, if you have a walk-in closet or you have a closet, you can easily make a fake wall on the back side of that and uh, just make it to where you can, you know, kind of like it's panels that you can just kind of pull off. Uh, you can very easily, you can put a uh, clothes rack, um, you know, whatever, you know, the bar there uh, across it to where it's not actually on the panels of your fake wall. Uh, it's on the other, you know, the other walls, but it would be covering it up, you know. And so you can easily do that if you wanted to hide things from people. Uh, one of the things to remember, though, is if you're hiding in, you know, let's just say that it gets your worst nightmare scenario is found out. The government is going door to door and finding people that have, you know, items and, and, and preppers and, and they're taking all that stuff from you. Um, you know, I, they're going to have dogs. They're going to have, you know, infrared. They're going to have all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, in that kind of scenario, yeah, you're going to need a cash somewhere far, far away. Do I foresee a scenario like that? No. I, I only foresee that in prepper fiction. Uh, if, if it got so bad that that was happening, I don't think there would be a government, uh, a real government, uh, you know, in, in functioning. So I don't think you would have to worry about that. But anyway, that's just that's just my thoughts. That's just my opinion there on how that would work. But I do think if you wanted to have a place where you could easily hide things from people, making a false wall in a in a cabinet uh, or in a walk-in closet would be very very easy to easy to do, and uh, wouldn't be hard. Uh, and you you wouldn't have to take up a lot of space either. You know, just a a little bit. You know, twelve inches would would give you a lot of space to put things. So, all right. So that's it for episode 88. Thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. If you get a chance, come by the website and drop me a comment or uh, you know, hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And then also appreciate it if you get to share out our, uh, our episode or our podcast with other, others out there. That's always a great benefit to, uh, to getting the word out there. All right, so with that, let me leave you with this, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.